All right, glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free number. It is 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Do you remember during the whole, and, and I went through this in great specificity and great detail yesterday, that how corrupt the media mob is, how abusively biased they are. It's never been, I've always, we've always known. Media research has been around for decades. AIM has been around for decades. These groups that have monitored liberal media, they've been around a long, long time. But I, And I always knew it existed. And I even said in 2007 and eight that journalism is dead and buried and gone and done and finished. And I meant it. And, you know, then Donald Trump happened and something spectacular. It's like it all snapped. And everything became magnified at a level I don't think I ever imagined could happen or really existed. I thought I knew, but now I know so much more. It's, it's like once your eyes become more open and more open and you see more, it's like all of a sudden, you know, you can see the horizon. You can see the full picture and the depth of abusive bias and corruption. And, and Donald Trump brought all of this to the forefront. I don't know what it is. Donald Trump has this unique ability to just live in people's heads. And those people that dislike him, it becomes a psychotic, passionate, you know, it, it's just it is rage and it's unhinged. You know, that's why when I when I heard Andrew Weissman writes in the New York Times, I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, this guy spent three years, three years investigating Trump Russia collusion. It was it was Mueller's pit bull. And a, a guy that Sidney Powell had written about and licensed to lie and prosecutorial abuse issues, et cetera, et cetera. And he's writing that, well, it's not going to be good for the country. It'll be hard and difficult. But if Biden's president, his AG needs to investigate Trump. And he's talking about Russia again and obstruction again. And it's like oh, we, we've had four investigations. Now, the whole idea of obstruction when all of it was based on Hillary's bought and paid for Russian disinformation dossier that was not only never verifiable, never verified, and used to spy on candidate Trump, transition team Trump, and deep into the presidency of Donald Trump. That's crazy. Now you want to say he obstructed because, what, he defended himself against an injustice? Well, we now know they knew that the steel source was a, a Russian operative known to the FBI for over a decade and that they knew it all in, in January of 2017 when they talked to the, that one subsource. I mean, it is you just don't think these things can happen, but they did. And, you know, then that failed spectacularly. Uh, four separate investigations. Now they want to go after us. I'm like, okay, well, I guess Trump has to pardon himself and his family out the door if they ever want to live a day in peace because this this rage and psychosis is never going to end. I, I mean, it would be it would be madness. But that's how much they hate this guy. And then, of course, well, they weren't going to go through a special prosecutor for three years again and get disappointed like they did the last time. Then they have the whole Ukrainian hypocrisy and hoax. We had a real quid pro quo. We had a real family corruption scandal, zero experience hunter, you know, millions of dollars with no experience in oil, gas, energy or Ukraine. And dad 
leveraging a billion taxpayer dollars on tape bragging about it. You got six hours. You're not getting the billion unless you fire the prosecutor. Who's the prosecutor? The guy that's investigating a zero experience son being paid millions. Then it, then it reached out into China and a $1.5 billion deal with the Bank of China. We see no experience there either for Hunter. Uh, then we see now we know about Russian oligarchs and the first lady of Moscow and a Kazakhstan oligarch and uh, Chinese nationals and shopping spree. Nobody in the media cared. Nobody cared to tell the truth about Russia. They got Russia wrong. They peddle lies and conspiracy theories. And that's why I'm like, yeah, okay, they're going to lecture us if you raise questions. Now, I want to just remind you, because today in Michigan, and we're going to meet some of these whistleblowers, people that signed legal affidavits that are now testifying under the threat of perjury, that what they saw and all the irregularities that they saw, because it's pretty damn compelling. And these are real people. Now, I know this whole process takes time, but, you know, these are people that are saying publicly that which they saw. Now, I thought during the whole Ukrainian impeachment hoax, remember, we had a hearsay whistleblower, wasn't even a real whistleblower. He had heard something about something happening and he expressed it, but he was praised to the hilt, the non-whistleblower whistleblower. And Democrats and the mob, the media, all saying that this guy is a patriot and praising his courage. Listen. This is someone who essentially did what we hope all people serving in the government will do. They stepped forward. They used the appropriate process in a classified and, and confidential manner uh, to bring their concerns uh, to the appropriate officials. That takes incredible courage. And the whistleblower has uh, great risk associated with his life right now. Uh, if they were investigating an arson, would they arrest the person who pulled the fire alarm? And that's all the whistleblower did. They pulled the fire alarm. We have found the smoke. We have found the fire. The whistleblower just said from the beginning, I have secondhand information. Go talk to the people who have firsthand. That's what's been done. So, I mean, this is just pure harassment. I believe this is a career service employee, a public servant. I consider him or her a patriot, someone who uh, is aware of wrongdoing and has stepped forward uh, at risk, I believe, to themselves. Okay, now let's go. Uh, we'll go, actually go live. There's been testimony all day from people. Whistleblowers. Let's call them what they are. They're whistleblowers. They're telling what they witnessed, all the irregularities in Michigan. And I'm listening all day and I'm like, I can't believe right now these guys, these guys actually were the ones hauling tractor trailers. They're saying full of ballots. Listen in. Got me reading papers and I don't like reading. I'll be honest with you. Okay. Um, I didn't want to come. I'll tell you what, I have everything to lose, nothing to gain from this. All right. Everything to lose, nothing to gain. And I'm already losing. I'm already losing, okay? Um, so for me to come here, it's, it, was a, it was a big step. And for me to come here, it was just more so I had to put myself to the side and I have to worry about everyone else. Because I believe everyone else in America should know, all right? Just a little past, he kind of gave you a little rundown. Um, yeah, I served some time, had some charges. Um, you guys want to run with it, you can run with it. But this is what the real story is. The story is what we're here for today, all right? I didn't want this put on me. 
but for some reason, it's on me, and here I am, all right? Um, Let me explain in detail. This guy is a truck driver, who a, 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 a Pennsylvania postal truck driver, that shipped an estimated 144,000 to 288,000 completed ballots across three states, uh, three state lines in October. That's the story he's telling. Listen back in. On October 21st, when I arrived for my usual route in Bethpage, New York, an expediter made three references to ballots that were to be loaded into my trailer, including saying, hey, you've got a ballot today, or you have ballots today, and even showing me a piece of, of registered mail and saying someone really wanted their ballot to count. In total, I saw 24 Gaylords. Where's that box? Right here. You got, you got this guy right here? That's kind of a good, a good representation of a Gaylord, all right? They're not usually put together with duct tape, though. Um, here you go. This is pretty good, too. But for a visual, I mean, that will, that will work, all right? So um, in total, I saw 24 Gaylords or large cardboard containers of ballots loaded into my trailer. These Gaylords contain plastic trays, I call them totes, but trays will work, of ballots stacked on top of each other. All the envelopes were the same size. I could see the envelopes had handwritten addresses, return addresses, and I could even tell that one of, that one was marked registered mail. That one was off to the side, all right? <clears throat> they were complete ballots. I didn't, I didn't think much of it at the time. At Bethpage, I was first loaded with two tall Gaylords. So picture that thing there or, or this little representation here, but this tall, all right? So I was loaded with two tall Gaylords, okay? And uh, that were, oh, where was I at? They had uh, mixed mail pieces bound for Lancaster. These Gaylords were loaded first because they would be the last off my trailer. The remainder of the truck was loaded with complete ballots bounded for Harrisburg. I then drove to Harrisburg with the ballots. Usually I offload in one of the seven docks every day but not on October 21st. I wasn't allowed to offload. That's different. Whenever I pull in the Harrisburg, I go around and I get, and I get unloaded and then I roll out. Not that day, all right? Not that day. Instead, I was made to wait for roughly six hours in the yard from 9.15 a.m till 3 p.m. This really ticked me off, all right? Because my brother was in town, he just moved back up, and I wanted to spend some time with him. I tried to get the attention of postal workers, but no one would tell me what's going on. All of this was weird. I arrived at, the, at, uh, I arrived at about the same time every day. The expediter scans all my seals 
and barcodes, and they they unload me. But for the first time, or but or what? But from the time I first arrived in Harrisburg from Bethpage, everything got weird. None of that happened. After waiting six hours, I went inside to figure out what's going on. I was told to wait for the transportation supervisor. This was also weird. 16 months I've been doing this. I haven't ever talked to the transportation supervisor for the United States Postal Service. I talk to an expediter. I come in, I see an expediter, that's who I deal with. If I have an issue, it's the expediter. I don't deal with anyone else but the expediter. I never, never talk to the United States Postal Service's transportation supervisor. Let's make that clear. I have my own transportation supervisor for the company that I work for. Let me interrupt here. We'll get back to this, though. All right, just so you know what a Gaylord is, a bulk or box known as a, it's sort of like a a bulk bin, skid box, pallet box, if you will. Um, and it's just a pallet-sized box used for storage and shipping to bulk, to ship bulk qualities. Talking about leaving Bethpage, New York, and going to Harrisburg, PA. And then all these irregularities that had never happened before. And he's saying that, yeah, these were ballots. That's what he's testifying to. A whistleblower. Should we listen to the whistleblowers? Are whistleblowers brave now? Are they courageous now? Let me take a break. At the, at the bottom of the half hour, we'll go back to this truck driver testifying that he, testif- that he transferred and delivered and all the irregularities in the shipping process um, across state lines. Let me play this woman, Karen Cortez, uh, who's a Michigan poll challenger testifying on ir- irregularities with military ballots from Michigan. On November 4th, uh, some of us were summoned to come back that they needed more workers, more challengers. So we went back on November 4th. On the afternoon of November 4th, uh, I believe it was about 4.30 or 5 o'clock when the military ballots came in. And I was working with one particular table when I was witnessing the military ballots, and I found it highly unusual that every military ballot that was logged into the system had a birth date of January 1st, 1900. You have one minute. And nobody could tell me why the birth dates were 1900. When I went to challenge those votes, the supervisor at the table told me, and I quote, we're not doing that. So I pressured her. I said, I want this challenge. I want it noted in the laptop and in the poll in the poll book. And she said, we're not doing that. And I said, well, I'm not leaving the table until it gets logged in one of them. So she wrote down in the poll book, Karen Cordes is challenging this and this vote. And she said, because I told her, is challenging every subsequent ballot hereafter. Any questions? So, so when you when you say they had a date of birth, was it always January 1st? Every one of them. Huh? Every one of them. January 1st, 1900. Okay. No explanation has been provided thus far? None. All right. Uh, Vice Chair Lucido. Ma'am, how many, uh, it's, how many did you count like that? At the particular table I was at, on the screen, I saw about a dozen. I mean, is that like, really? All day people have been given this testimony under the threat of perjury. All day whistleblowers. We'll get back to the truck driver that's saying he transported ballots across state lines. 
and uh, a lot more coming up. And you'll meet some of those that testified today straight ahead. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. All right, before we get back to this truck driver that's testifying in Michigan, even right now as we speak, um, let me set this up because there's a guy on before him that testified today. In other words, real whistleblowers, not hearsay whistleblowers, people that signed sworn affidavits. You know, here it is a month later. We're finally hearing from the people, which, Frank, uh, why did it take so long? I don't know. But we should have heard from them a lot sooner than this, in my opinion. Anyway, I can't belabor that point. The United States Postal Service is contractor. This guy starts out, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a Biden supporter either, but something profoundly uh, wrong occurred in Wisconsin. He's one of the, the drivers in that case, taking ballots across state lines uh, during the presidential election. And the American people have a right to know. Again, sworn affidavit under the threat of perjury. Here's what he said. During the run-up to and on election day, I was working as a temporary hire at United Mailing Services, UMS, a USPS subcontractor in Wisconsin. I began employment on August 26, 2020 as a route driver and box truck driver. This meant my job was to pick up mail on a predetermined route and deliver it to UMS for sorting and metering. I would then take the sorted mail in my box truck to USPS. In September or October, I began to deliver mail and ballots from UMS to USPS as part of my evening delivery duties. I knew this because there was special bins marked for ballots only. On one occasion, I forgot to retrieve the ballots for transportation and I had to go back for them. After that, I always made sure to check that I had the ballot bins loaded for transport. On November 2nd, 2020, I noticed that there was only one ballot in the bin for delivery to USPS. And on November 3rd, election day, there were no ballots in the bin for delivery. One can imagine my surprise then when the next day, November 4th, I was asked by a senior USPS employee named Monte if I had forgotten any ballots the night before. Monte explained that an order came down from the Wisconsin-Illinois chapter of USPS that 100,000 ballots were missing. Monte then told me that his post office had dispatched employees to look for the missing ballots around 4 a.m. and that only seven or eight were found at UMS. Based on my previous experience and habit of double-checking for ballots, I believe that to be a lie. The following day, November 5th, 2020, I had a conversation with a different USPS named Rachel, in which she admitted that USPS employees were ordered to backdate ballots that were received too late to be lawfully counted. I asked Rachel if I would get in trouble with my boss for those ballots the other night, referring to the allegedly missing ballots I discussed with USPS employee Monte on November 4th, 2020. No, you wouldn't, she responded, as long as they were postmarked for the third. She continued, that's why they had us do that. I didn't bring any of this to the attention of my supervisors at USPS at the time due to what I perceived to be their hostility towards President Donald Trump and their evident contempt for the law. I heard those same two post office employees making jokes about taking mail-in ballots for Trump and throwing them away. I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a Biden supporter either. In fact, I didn't vote for either of the main candidates. But something profoundly wrong occurred in Wisconsin during the presidential election 
and the American people have a right to know about it. Thank you. Whistleblower. What are your thoughts on this whistleblower? Where's the media on this whistleblower? Media covering this? Most of them are not. Unbelievable. Uh, All right, let's go back to this truck driver. He's talking about how he started his route in Bethpage, New York, traveling to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania with ballots. Let's get back to that. And they they unload me. But for the first time, or but or what? But from the time I first arrived in Harrisburg from Bethpage, everything got weird. None of that happened. After waiting six hours, I went inside to figure out what's going on. I was told to wait for the transportation supervisor. This was also weird. 16 months I've been doing this. I haven't ever talked to the transportation supervisor for the United States Postal Service. I talk to an expediter. I come in, I see an expediter, that's who I deal with. If I have an issue, it's the expediter. I don't deal with anyone else but the expediter. I never, never talk to the United States Postal Service's transportation supervisor. Let's make that clear. I have my own transportation supervisor for the company that I work for. He's the one that gives me the details. He's the one that I listen to. I don't listen to this guy. He's the guy that would contact my boss if he needed something ran different. I've never spoken with this transportation supervisor from the United States Postal Service. They don't speak to people like me. He's a top guy. He's the kind of guy that would speak to my boss, not a trucker like me. The supervisor told me to drive to, uh, told me to drive to Lancaster without being unloaded in Harrisburg. This made no sense to me. I knew the ballots were loaded for Harrisburg, and that if I was to go to Lancaster, they would have to off unload my ball- or those pallets in Lancaster to take off Lancaster stuff to put the ballots back on the trailer to send them back to Harrisburg doesn't make no sense. This was a real screw up in my my thinking. I wanted I wanted my ticket so whenever I go to a place I and I when I go there and whenever I'll leave I'll get a ticket. I'll get a ticket, a slip, whatever you want to call it. It's the date, time that I'm supposed to be there. It'll have my trailer number on it. It'll have um, how much I'm loaded. It'll have the seal number. It has my name. It'll have who, who was the expediter. So I wanted my, my, my ticket, my slip. I call them tickets. Some people call them slips, okay? Um, and then because I was there for six hours... I wanted my late slip too because I wanted to be paid for sitting in that yard for six hours. So um, I wanted the ticket and the late slip for stopping in at Harrisburg. Also, I wanted it because if they tell me to take this load to Lancaster, I don't want to pull up the Lancaster of Harrisburg crap and be like, yeah, they just told me to be or come here and not have no, no ticket because they don't look like I just came straight here, you know? just to prove that I was there. And so others would know I wasn't the person that screwed this up. 
A ticket is always provided to a driver when they arrive at a, U a United States Postal Service facility that proves you were there. The transportation supervisor refused to give me a ticket and told me to leave. I then demanded he give me a late slip since I wanted to get paid for the time I was sitting there and waiting and waiting for them to offload me. He refused to give me that too. He was kind of rude and wouldn't explain anything to me. He just told me to go to Lancaster. I then drove to Lancaster, unhooked my trailer in its normal place, and then drove my truck to where I always park it in a nearby lot, and then I went home. The next day, it just got weirder. As I arrived at Lancaster, at Lancaster's United States Postal Service facility, with my tractor, I went to hook up to my trailer. And my trailer was gone. Not there no more. 10R1440. Since I started driving that Bethpage route, I've always had trailer 10R1440. I like that trailer. It was a nice trailer. I know you guys probably don't really know nothing about truck driving or trailers or anything, but the rear tandems had a, with your driving light, the rear tandems will actually, the front axle will actually go up. Um, nice air ride, the, the doors on it, were, it worked great. Some of the trailers that place has, you could honestly put it on the back of a carrier and drop it off in the middle of the ocean and no one would worry about it. So that trailer I really liked, okay? Um, what happened on October 21st was a series of unusual events that cannot be a coincidence. I know I saw ballots with return addresses filled out, thousands of them, thousands, loaded onto my trailer in New York and headed for Pennsylvania. At first, I didn't think it was a big deal. In fact, I thought it was really awesome. I was, I really did. I was like, sweet, I'm doing something for the presidential race. You know, this is cool. <clears throat> but as things became weirder, I got to thinking and wondered why I was driving complete ballots from New York to Pennsylvania. I didn't know I didn't know why, so I decided to speak up. And that's what I'm doing today. Thank you. So that's the truck driver. Now, there's people been testifying all day. Now, I, you know, I keep going back to this analogy, and I played it earlier. I'll get back to it uh, as well later in the program today, about Democrats, the media mob. They, they all praise to the hilt the courage of the hearsay whistleblower, non-whistleblower. Well, you have whistleblowers all day telling their stories. You're going to meet three of them later in this program today. And you'll meet some on TV tonight. And um, the media, for the most part, they're not covering any of this. This is, this, is, this is what we've always known. The double standard exists to the point where 
you know, they let Joe Biden hide in his basement and they did all the dirty work for his campaign, beating up Trump every day uh, with great pleasure. I mean, that's a corrupt mob. Why, why do I call the media the mob? Because it's a mob mindset, mob mentality. They all told the Russia conspiracy hoax, lie. They perpetuated that lie, all based on Hillary's bought and paid for Russian disinformation dossier, ironically. I know that Attorney General Barr today uh, has appointed Durham as a special counsel, which would indicate that this is going into the, you know, if it's a Biden administration, would would continue under that administration unless they fired him, which they could do. Probably be scandalous, but they don't seem to really have that much shame, do they? And I don't think Democrats have any appetite to get to the bottom of it either because they perpetuated these lies for three years and dragged the country through hell for three years. That's why I, I, I sit there and I'm listening to the media now sanctimoniously lecturing anybody that even wants to hear from people that are whistleblowers that they used to praise and they praised one that wasn't really one and hearsay witnesses and opinion witnesses. There's only one fact witness in their whole Ukrainian impeachment sham. And they just this this is the state of the country. Now, I don't know why it's taken this long to actually hear from people. I know that they were accumulating. I mean, it's one thing to watch people accumulate all of the different data uh, and affidavits and evidence. And I know this all takes time. I do. But I got to tell you something. Uh, it's a month later. And it would have I think it would have been a lot more helpful if we were hearing from people a lot earlier on in this process. I'm, that, that's not in, under my control in any way but i think it would have been better for the country to hear a lot of this earlier you know we were showing you that these affidavits existed we know what the what the what a whistleblower is but there's hundreds and hundreds of them and as i pointed out yesterday the the numbers you know biden underperforms with minorities in in every big city except for atlanta fulton county wayne county detroit michigan milwaukee and Philly, Pennsylvania. Now you got this guy saying what he's saying, this truck driver. Oh, I just, yeah, I ship ballots. It's unbelievable. Does anyone care what he has to say? The media cared? Democrats cared? No, because they got the result they wanted. They just want anybody that wants to get to the bottom of it to shut up and not raise a question. Meanwhile, for four years, they never accepted the results of the last election. I love getting lectured by those hypocrites. Glad you're with us, 800-941-SHAWN, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Other news, and we'll get to all of this with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan here in a second. Uh, Bill Barr moved today to protect the Durham investigation uh, from interference uh, if there were a future Biden administration. And he elevated John Durham now to the role of special counsel, which means that he would be protected from any interference by any potential Biden administration of any of the Russiagate hoaxers in the Obama Biden administration end up under investigation. And should, since Joe Biden took part in that January 5th, 2017 meeting where he, Comey, Yates, Susan Rice, note to self, memo to self, what happened in this office 15 days ago, Obama said, do everything by the book. Anyway, the attorney general made that appointment today. 
Uh, a lot of news has been made uh, at the AG's comments that the DOJ is yet to find widespread voter fraud that could have changed the 2020 election. Uh, specifically, although this is a nuanced point, but it is an important one, uh, he's saying that that would be on a federal criminal in the criminal justice system with allegations that uh, he is saying should be made in civil lawsuits. All of the campaign's litigation, just so you know, is civil. Uh, in that sense, that really doesn't have an impact on the ongoing litigation. Uh, distinction, important point, but would it be criminal? I think it would be. And I would hope that the testimony we've been hearing all day would be compelling. Jim Jordan of Ohio joins us right now, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Sean. Good to be with you. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, I did, and I want to talk about that in a second. So with the Attorney sure. General's announcement yep. uh, about protecting Durham and, and elevating him to a special counsel, your thoughts? No, I think you said it right. Remember, Joe Biden was in the Oval Office at that January 5th meeting. Joe Biden's the guy who brought up the Logan Act that they, wanted, that they were thinking about using to go after uh, Michael Flynn. And of course, that's the, that's the meeting where they hatched the strategy to go after Michael Flynn and to take him out because he would have uncovered uh, exactly what they had, they had done uh, to the Trump campaign. So I think this is a, a good move. If you look at the letter, though, I think there's, there's two interesting points. The letter that the Attorney General sent to Mr. Nadler, Mr. Uh, Graham, uh, uh, Senator Feinstein, and myself. And in that letter, he says, additional information has been uncovered. So what, what is that information? How is that going to be? So, so Durham has obviously found something. The other thing, though, the other point that I would I'd make from that, that, that cover letter that he sent, he talks about tolling the notification. He was supposed to, the Attorney General was supposed to tell us this when he made the determination and exactly named um, named Durham the special counsel, which took place back on October 19th. I wish he would have made this public beforehand, before the election. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't. But I, I do think it's a good move because if, in fact, it's a Biden administration, we need to remember Joe Biden was intricately involved in that key January 5th meeting that you pointed out. All right. Have you been watching all of the testimony today? Have you had an opportunity to watch this? I have not. I've been, I've been in meetings and stuff here on Capitol Hill. I'm not. No. Well, you've been hearing from one whistleblower after another, and I played earlier yep. in the program. I'll play it later. But I thought Democrats in the media love whistleblowers. But all these people signed uh, legal affidavits under the threat of perjury, and they're all giving their testimony about all the irregularities that they saw. And it's beyond compelling, including a truck driver talking about uh, transporting ballots across state lines in in yep. large quantities of maybe up to 300,000. No, I agree. And, and just step back for a second. Sean, they're still counting votes. Four weeks after the election, they're still counting votes in California and New York. Ask yourself this question. If the United States of America, if we sent people to some other country, some country in a different continent, to oversee their elections, and that country that we were overseeing the elections was still counting votes 28 days after the election was supposed to happen, we'd say, oh, this is a problem. We better talk to the U.N. about this. We better do something. We better withhold foreign aid to that country. But here in the United States, we have two of our, two of our four biggest states, California and New York, still counting ballots today. So everybody knows something's not right with this election. We can see all the, all, the, the fact that this president got 10 million, 10 plus more million votes. We won 27 out of 27 toss-up seats in the House. We kept the Senate. We picked up a bunch of seats in the House. He increased his vote with Hispanic Americans, African Americans, and yet somehow comes up short. So we, we know there's some, and then we have all these people coming forward, willing to swear under oath that this is, in fact, you know, crazy things that happen. 
So, of course, we should look at this. And it comes back to the fundamental question. Why don't Democrats want to? Why do they want to, why do, why do they want to rush through this? We have plenty of time. We've got two more weeks until the Electoral College meets. We've got six and a half weeks until, until uh, inauguration. So let's get to the bottom of everything because something doesn't feel right. And when you have 70% of the 74 million people who voted for President Trump, 70% of that number think that something was wrong with this election, that's a third of the electorate. When a third of the electorate thinks something's wrong, it is, it is good for the country that we figure out exactly what happened. Well, the president said in his interview with Maria Bartiromo that if the Electoral College decides that it's Biden, he will abide by that. Um, and I, I don't know if I want to go there yet. I think this process needs to play out completely. You know, I guess if there's a level of frustration to me, Jim Jordan, is that they've been accumulating these affidavits. Why haven't we heard from the people themselves directly sooner? It's a month later. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm like you. I wish we would. Uh, I'm like you. I want this. I want to exhaust every avenue that we can and get to the truth. Um, I do believe we're going to begin to hear from these folks. I, I certainly hope so. Um, but um, you know, remember though, Sean. Remember the lady in uh, in, in in Detroit, uh, Michigan, in Wayne County, when she was going to hold off on, on certifying the elections from that county. Remember what the left did to her. What the cancel culture mob did to her and to her family. So obviously some of these people are, are, are a little nervous. And as you pointed out, it used to be that, that you know, uh, people in, in Democrats and Republicans supported whistleblowers coming forward. But now, no, that's not the case with Democrats. The only whistleblower they supported was the one that we weren't allowed to know his name, right? The yeah, one that that one that was not even a real Biden. whistleblower. Wasn't it a hearsay yeah. whistleblower? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So, uh, yeah, I, but, but the, my, my guess is that's some of the reluctance on some of these uh, some of these people who've signed affidavits and, and, and want to testify to things, they're a little nervous about what the what the cancel culture mob on the left will do to them. No, look, I mean, you live this every single day. Um, do we yeah, know how many house seats were picked up by Republicans in this election yet? Have we ever gotten the final number? I know all twenty seven toss up races went Republican. Yep. Looks like we're going to get to 213, I believe, is the number we're going to get to. As you saw, Mike Garcia was just named the, the, the winner yesterday in that California seat. David Valadeo won back his seat. That Lee Zeldin won his race. That was done today, Lee too. Zeldin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think— He won by 40,000 votes. Why are we even here? But okay, that's a congressional race. Yeah. But um, <laughs> exactly. So 213, what's the margin then? So they got they, they have five votes, and remember they had ten people uh, ten people who who uh, won re-election who voted against uh, Pelosi for speaker. So we'll see what happens. My guess is she she figures out some way to to you know stay a speaker, cling on to power. They, yeah, they can they can only lose a few votes on the on the House floor that uh, on on important issues, and so it'll be an interesting uh, interesting. Uh, is there Congress, any uh, chance that that the squad members could win that seat? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. You know, I, I. I. I don't mind when the Democrats are fighting. I figure the more they're fighting, the less they're trying to take away your rights and your your liberties. So, um, if they got all this infighting going on between the squad and between Speaker Pelosi and other members of their conference, I mean, that's fine because that's in the long run, that's good for the country. Less time for, less time for them to do damage and raise your taxes and all the other crazy things they want to do. Yeah. Now, when you if we're looking at like a nine seat difference then between Democrats and Republican. I mean, yeah. that's really close. But every state legislature was held as well, which also yeah. brings up, you know, there's again, there's so many spectacular firsts. Don't you find it odd, Jim Jordan, if you when you look at 
all of the statistics and numbers that we're now being able to put together. And, you know, this is just the nature of elections. You don't find out a lot about it until till after. Um, but when you look at all of this, you know, Biden's going to enter the White House as the first incumbent to gain votes. The president, Trump, will gain 11 million votes but lose the election since Grover Cleveland 150 years ago. 150 uh, years. Right. Yeah. And then you then you look at, for example, he won your state by eight points, Florida by over three points. The two swing states weren't even close. Yep. That would make Biden the first candidate in 60 years to lose Florida and Ohio and still become president. Uh, yep. 19 bellwether counties that all correctly yep. picked the president each year since Reagan. 18 were Trump by an average of 15 percent. Uh, yep. If you look at Biden, unpre- underperformed Clinton and Obama in major liberal cities with minorities, New York, Chicago, L.A., but outperformed Clinton and Obama in swing state cities like Milwaukee, Atlanta, <laughs> Detroit, and Philadelphia. Yeah. Is that yeah. an accident or just a great lucky coincidence for Joe? Yeah, it, it, all the while, while, while President Trump was getting a higher percentage of African-American vote, Hispanic-American vote, and yet somehow Biden does so exceptionally well in some of these key urban areas, in, in, in some of the key swing states. So, yeah, I mean, the bellwether counties that, like, as you pointed out, the Ohio going by over eight points for the president. Yeah, Ohio was the, the, the state that always, over the last several years, I think you said 60, but it, it's the state that you have to carry if you're going to win the White House. And the president carries it, it by a huge margin. So all those things together, when you just list them all out, you would think, and there was a great article in the Federalist that pointed some of the things out you were talking about, and, and, and the, the, the headline was, why won't the media do the, ask the questions about this? I mean, that's the job of journalists. Go, go, you, you see all these strange things, and something tells you, why? Why did this all happen, and yet somehow Biden wins the, the, the White House? It's never happened in history before. We've never seen anything like this. So that should tell us something, that there needs to be an investigation of this. We've actually called for one. We've called for Jerry Nadler. And, and, and Chairwoman Maloney of the Oversight Committee to, to do an investigation. We'll help them with it. We'll help them. We'll, we'll dig in and find out exactly what happened. Of course, we've gotten uh, silence from, uh, from, from both of those chairmen. You know, I saw that you uh, warned on Friday that the left is going to target Christmas next after Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think the funniest viral video in New York that was going around everywhere was uh, a picture of, of Governor Cuomo peering into people's homes and, win- and through the window. <laughs> I don't know how many yeah. counting how many people might be at the Thanksgiving Day dinner. Now, obviously, we have a, a, a big wave of Corona around the country. Obviously, sure. I think most Americans understand what social distancing and masks are. I think you have a greater risk. All these kids tend to be asymptomatic and many are not getting tested and they come home to mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. That's a danger. I hope everybody takes seriously. Um, but I also get the impression that Americans, they, they, have, they are going to make their own risk assessment. After a year, I think everybody's pretty well informed yeah. on this. Of course, because we're Americans. There's one fundamental thing about Americans. We hate being told what to do. That, it's part of our DNA. I, you know, the old joke always comes to mind. For most Americans, when they're traveling down the highway and they see the sign that says 55 miles per hour, for most Americans, that's not the limit. That's the challenge. So that, that's, just how, that's just part of who we are and our heritage people coming here to settle this, this, this great country. So now you've got government. Government, think about this. In, in, in Ohio, you have to be in your home at 10 o'clock. In Pennsylvania, when you're in your home, you have to wear a mask. But in Vermont, when you're in your home, you don't have to wear a mask because you're not allowed to have friends over to your home. The government, that's what government is doing to Americans. 
telling them how they have to behave in their own home, their own property. And if you don't think that ticks a lot of Americans off, then this is craziness what we're doing. The crazy rules Gavin Newsom had for, for Thanksgiving, oh, my goodness. You could be, you had to be outside, but outside was defined as you could have a roof and you could have three sides. So you can really be in your garage with the door up, but you, they call it outside. You can only be there for two hours. I mean, it was ridiculous. You could have only three households. So you and your, you and your, your family, your mom and dad and your brother's family could be there for Thanksgiving, but you and your mom and dad and your brother's family and your sister's family couldn't be there for Thanksgiving. I mean, this is just ridiculous. And Americans have had it with the crazy rules, especially the fact that these people make the crazy rules and then they don't follow them. And now that we've seen all these irregularities, but only in certain states, my question is, mm-hmm. you know, if we don't fix this, we never win another election. I'm, I'm worried uh, about Georgia right now. Yep. No, I am, too. Um, we got two good Senate candidates there. We got to do everything we can to make sure they win. Uh, but you're right. We got to stop this vote by mail. You can't just be, you, and you got to you can't you can't have states do what Pennsylvania did. Just change the rules at the last minute. You know, you have all these rules in place. You had the legislature pass the law, and then all of a sudden, the state supreme court, a bunch of hacks on the court, along with the the Democrats, uh, uh, secretary of state, and the, and the Democrat governor, they, they go and change the rules at the last minute and and do this massive mail in voting concept. So that's the big problem. We we called this, and we we did a report. Uh, Mr. Comer and I and, and our, our staffs on the two committees, and, and unfortunately, it, it played out. And, you know, it was just a few years ago, even the New York Times are saying you can't do massive mail-in voting. The potential for fraud, the potential for problems is so huge. So um, we've said many times, Sean, if you can protest in person, you can vote in person. Let's vote in person unless it's absentee where you specifically request. The Board of Elections knows who you are, knows where you live, knows you're actually a real voter, and it's done that how way. How about voter ID, just like you need to get of in the course. DNC? Of course. How, how about course. signature verification that's real? Yeah, we have both. In Ohio, we, in Ohio, the state that President Trump won by eight points, the Bellwether State, we have, you have to present your ID when you vote. You have to sign so there's a signature match. We only have absentee that you request for, and it can only happen in that 30-day window prior to. So it, we have the kind of system in place that makes sense, that is actually you know, not fraught with this potential for, for fraud. So that's how we have to do it. But these states, I mean, here in yeah, D.C. I've got a roll, but... All right, Jim Jordan, we're going to hit the phones when we get back. Thank you, sir. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. You know, the near blackout in the mob um, over whistleblowers today. Now, we've gone through this whole thing about whistleblowers. They love whistleblowers. They praise the hearsay non-whistleblower, whistleblower that was the basis of their entire insane Ukrainian hoax impeachment. That's that was that was all based on a hearsay whistleblower. Wasn't even a real whistleblower. Hearsay whistleblower. Praise to the hilt. Protected, respected, great, great courage, etc. So if you look as we've been watching all day and you know, witness after witness, but and there is some risk to people if they testify and they sign affidavits, that's under the threat of perjury. And, you know, to to fight uh, despite ballots, duplicate ballots reports today, people people testify provisional folders placed in an envelope that would be fed through a tabulator because the tabulator would uncover them and spoil them. Uh, Another challenger seeing political slogans on clothing of poll workers told to 
invalidate ballots that would be fed through the tabulation machine, which would spoil ballots. Uh, You got another worker, another witness, hostility towards Republicans, inadequate Republican representation, Republican men hauled out and Democrats cheering, yelling at and harassing other others that are there to challenge ballots with the law provides for it, but in specific language. I mean, it's all there. You know, one poll challenger prevented from viewing ballots, witness ballots being backdated. Uh, these are people, all whistleblowers saying it on the record. Does America want to hear this? Well, not if they're following the mob and the media. They don't even want to discuss it. They don't want to even hear for hear about it. As long as they got the result they want, they're happy. You know, all the talk about all of these things, you know, the, the state's the majority of precincts in the county were unbalanced. You had, you know, as many as as few as one person for 80 tables where county was going on being an observer. That's not observing the election. Product. That's not partisan observers watching the vote count from start to finish as the law allows. Uh, they had no idea the election machines could preserve the chain of custody. This guy testifies to today, the former state senator. Many people were tired of waiting for the prosecution of corrupt people. Uh, Other people there, whistleblowers revealing substantial evidence all over the place. This evidence demonstrates, and it's through eyewitness testimony that's been corroborated by others through their eyewitness statements, that 130,000 to 280,000 completed ballots for the 2020 general election were shipped from Bethpage, New York, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where those ballots and the trailer in which they were shipped disappeared. I am an unaffiliated Michigan voter who uh, was trained by the GOP to be a poll challenger on Wednesday, November 4th, beginning in the late morning until around 8 p.m., because I was told that they needed help. They didn't have, they were understaffed. I witnessed the room erupt in thunderous applause and derogatory cheering as Republican poll workers were picked off one by one and ejected from the room repeatedly by police escort throughout the day. By the end of the day, they had picked off so many GOP poll workers that there were probably only a few dozen left to monitor all of the processing stations in the room, which I'm told was between 130 and 160. Why doesn't anyone seem to care? You know, I guess that's my point. And we know the reason why. We know why. Um, And, you know, the president was tweeting out a lot of the whistleblowers today. Well, you know, can you blame the president? Anyway, 800-941-SEAN. Roger in Arizona. Roger, how are you? How are you? What's going on? How are you? What's going on? Hey, very good. Hey, I I, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to say I, I think it's very important that we remain positive that this uh, this election will run its course, that the founders were prophetic, actually, uh, in uh, they, they I'm, I believe they foresaw this uh, this happening down the road. And so we have the Supreme Court uh, to look at this. The evidence is mounting up. And if the Supreme Court can't make a decision, then uh, Congress will make a decision. And we have a majority uh, as per the 12th Amendment, because it's one state, one vote. Uh, I think there is a clear path uh, for uh, President Trump to uh, retain the presidency. And uh, I myself am excited. 
and I thank you for your uh, first. Listen, Roger, I'm not going to be Pollyannish on this. I'm not. This no. is an this is a massive, massive uphill climb. Uh, and, in terms now to not listen. And, and this is where the corruption of the media mob comes in. And they're they, they I mean, it, they just this is why hearing lectures from the people that sold us the Russia collusion hoax and conspiracy theories and lies for four years and never accepted the results of 2016. It rings hollow in my ears. I don't care what they think. You know, they, they never wanted us to vet Obama. They never they they we nailed what happened with the whole Russia hoax. It took three years of radio and TV investigative reporting to get it done. We vetted Biden when nobody else would. You know, we forged our own path. And I was saying this. We do our due diligence uh, and and that's what makes the show different. Uh, both my shows. We I think that's right. why what makes it different. I try to make it different. I try to be, you know, independent. And, um, you know, they used to love the non-whistleblower hearsay whistleblower, right? Now they don't right. want to. Now they don't even want to cover one whistleblower no. after another today. Why not? No, the the hypocrisy is just glaring, and people are not stupid. We see this at at, at a minimum. Seventy four million people see this at a minimum, and there are plenty of Democrats who do not like what's going on with our system. This is not a Pollyanna thing we we need to keep up the fight but the constitution is on our side and uh i i, I think people need to know that to not give up hope uh and to keep fighting to keep moving forward i you know i have democrats uh, my democrat friends question me and i say you know show me the evidence and i tell them look don't don't be intellectually lazy you go out and see it it's out there it's there to be seen. I'll guide you there. But the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, and and uh, this is not, this is a fight. This is a fight for our country. And uh, and we can't give up. But we have the Constitution on our side. Uh, listen, I will tell you, we do. If, if, if things work the way they should, I think the country would be re- reacting very differently. They certainly reacted differently with Russia. They certainly treated this this president far worse than any president in history. Even Andrew Cuomo acknowledged it recently. I nearly died. Uh, all right, Roger. Uh, thanks for the positive message. I'm. I, I think it doesn't. We we can't in the end. I don't know what the result's going to be, but I know one result will have. If we don't get to the bottom of all of this and fix it, you lose your country because you can't have a country where this type of, of stuff goes unchecked. And every other state can get things right, except, oh, all of these anomalies in these four specific states, five specific states. All right. Let us get in back to our busy phones here. Uh, John is in Florida. John, how are you? Glad you called. Hey, how are you doing, Sean? I'm good. How are you? What's going on? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm an independent voter. I live in Florida. Um, my biggest concern is if this is not corrected, then what's going to happen in the next election? Um, I voted for Trump, obviously, but I'm an independent voter. And the reason why I voted for Trump is because of this junk right here coming from the left. And the media is not covering anything. You see everything that's going on, um, but you have to go dig for it. Um, And it was so easy to get all the information against Donald Trump. So my question for you is, if they don't solve this problem, what's going to happen going forward? Uh, You lose your country. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. And then us as the people in this country, what resources are we going to have left to 
try to stop it. Well, look, you know, I just am a believer that, you know, every generation faces its challenges, everyone. And, you know, we now have uncovered something that I, I'd never expected we find in this country, which is a deep state that abused its power, you know, that have been terribly corrupt. And just going back to, you know, the, the Clinton bought and paid for Russian disinformation dossier, that becoming, you know, unverifiable and false, but still used to spy on a presidential candidate and then a president and then a transition team. All these things happened. And I'm like, OK, we still haven't gotten to the bottom of that. The people responsible have not been brought to justice. And I just didn't think these things could happen in this country. I knew things were corrupt. I knew the swamp existed. I knew the media was corrupt, but it's at a level that I never thought possible. And it's like they they seem to relish in owning their double standard or or clearly don't want to even see it. How does Joe Biden get to hide an entire campaign in his basement? Not answer questions. How how do you have all of these examples of the Biden family corruption scandals and and Russian oligarchs and Kazakh oligarchs and zero experience hunter and the bank of China and shopping sprees and payments, wire transfers here, there and everywhere with no experience. Nobody cared about that either. Nobody wanted to ever vet Obama. I mean, you know, it's just if it hasn't been clear in the past, I think it's clear now. The love of the hearsay non-whistleblower whistleblower was straightforward. Now we've got one whistleblower after another whistleblower after another whistleblower today, and they don't care. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know how this ultimately plays out, but I know that the American people are not being served well by the media, by the mob, and that the Democrats will take on breathtaking lies, hypocrisies, and even conspiracy theories to advance the socialist agenda and ram it down our throat. And, you know, if you look at one anomaly after another and and one case of, you know, somebody under the threat of a perjury charge giving testimony, they don't even want to hear it. It's a little shocking. But, you know, this this is our job to make as many people as possible aware of it. And that's what I'm going to try and do. This is what we do differently. And that that's what I'm continued and dedicated to doing. All right, back to our phones we go. Um, all right, 800-941-SEAN is our number. Mark in Ohio. Mark, how are you? Yes, hello, Sean. Yeah, how are Sean, you? Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. You are a great American. So are you, uh, sir. Just, Glad you called. Thank you, sir. I just wanted to mention that uh, I was watching the left this week again, and they're still talking about President Trump's taxes. You know, they must think that he fills out a W-2 and sends it in. You know, are you kidding me? I mean, can you just imagine Pelosi and Schumer seeing his taxes? They would not understand it. Heck, the IRS doesn't understand it. You know, he's got multiple things going on in multiple states, and tax, tax laws change from state to state. It must be totally mind-boggling to even the IRS. That's why I don't think it's being audited. I think they just have to work on it with his people every day to be on top of it. I'm sure there are teams of people and it gets presented to him and he goes, all right, everything's right here. Yes. And signs it. That's I guarantee you that's the process. Now, I don't think there's going to be any billionaires taxes that are going to appear normal to anybody because we're not billionaires. And, right. you know, what, whatever well, law, whatever loopholes exist in the law, the swamp put them there. 
Mm-hmm. You got to tell somebody that they shouldn't use the loopholes that they put in place. Exactly. Um, is a, is a little well, ridiculous. Look, when I saw Andrew Weissman, the pit bull of Robert Mueller, writing in the New York Times that he wants, if Joe Biden's president, he wants his attorney general to go after Trump after he leaves office. I just said that enough. I mean, this guy spent three years trying to destroy this man, couldn't do it, but he still wants to keep going on the same topic if there's a new attorney general. And I'm like, well, if that if that's their promise, pardon yourself and your family out the door. And people got all worked up that I said that. I, I stand by it because you will have nothing but never ending nonstop uh, misery because they just hate you as a person to this sick level. It's just not normal. I'm telling you, it's a scary time in my life. I, I look at this as a. I don't know how this plays out. I I don't have the best feeling about it all. It's just when you think it can't get any worse, it just gets worse. 800-941-SHAWN. We have our, our election experts. Uh, we're going to check in with David Schoen, Greg Jarrett next, our legal experts. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. All right, News Roundup Information Overload Hour, 800-941-SHAWN, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, yesterday it was Arizona, today it was Michigan hearings, whistleblowers. You know, let's take a little trip down memory lane again. And, you know, whistleblowers during Ukraine were to be respected. They were heroes. They were courageous. They took great risk. We have one whistleblower testifying after another whistleblower today. And here's uh, here's what the media mob was saying about the hearsay whistleblower, non-whistleblower during the Ukraine impeachment hoax. This is someone who essentially did what we hope all people serving in the government will do. They stepped forward. They used the appropriate process in a classified and and confidential manner uh, to bring their concerns uh, to the appropriate officials. That takes incredible courage. And the whistleblower has uh, great risk associated with his life right now. Uh, If they were investigating an arson, would they arrest the person who pulled the fire alarm? And that's all the whistleblower did. They pulled the fire alarm. We have found the smoke. We have found the fire. The whistleblower just said from the beginning, I have secondhand information. Go talk to the people who have firsthand. That's what's been done. So, I mean, this is just pure harassment. I believe this is a career service employee, a public servant. I consider him or her a patriot, someone who uh, is aware of wrongdoing and has stepped forward uh, at risk, I believe, to themselves. All right. That, of course, great risk to oneself, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway. Here to weigh in is our legal team, David Schoen, civil liberties attorney. Uh, he's back with us, experienced in election law, uh, finished a major brief on an election case that has done election contests. Uh, Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, author of the bestsellers, Russia Hoax, Witch Hunt, New York Times number one bestsellers. Thank you both, David. Um, I thought during the Ukrainian impeachment hoax that whistleblowers were to be praised. I heard one person after another, under, I assume under the threat of perjury, because they've all signed apparently legal affidavits, uh, telling their stories about election irregularities. It kind of, you know, it's one thing to see 300 affidavits signed. It's another thing to actually hear from real people telling real compelling stories. But the media Democrats have no interest in these whistleblowers. 
I think that's a fantastic way of approaching this subject, quite frankly. Those clips you played are exactly right. I mean, that's, that's how the so-called whistleblowers were played off in the, uh, in the Ukraine situation. Think about it. The poll workers and others involved with the, uh, with the election process are there genuinely out of altruistic re- for altruistic reasons. They believe in the system. They want to maintain the integrity of the system. Those people are to be believed, certainly before someone who might have a political axe to grind uh, working within an administration. Well, and, and that to me, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch all this today, Greg Jarrett, or watch any of it like I have. Uh, it's been pretty mind-numbing to me. I mean, to hear these stories one after another, after another, laws not followed, protocols not 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 followed, uh, obvious, uh, you know, a hostile work environment for partisan observers that are by statutory specific language, supposed to be able to watch the counting of votes from beginning to end nonstop. Uh, All these people telling all these stories, are we to believe them? They're vivid details of potential election fraud, uh, some of which affecting hundreds of thousands of ballots. Um, You know, these are important whistleblowers. Their motivation uh, seems to be simply to tell their own eyewitness accounts of what they saw that troubled them so deeply that they came forward. Uh, you know, we're talking about ballots backdated, blank ballots assigned random names and filled in, ballots crossing interstate lines to the tune of hundreds of thousands, ballots that don't uh, really have um, match valid uh, voters and signatures that are missing. Uh, or don't match, uh, but most importantly, the integrity of voting machines, their software that have been called into question. You know, it's no wonder then that the uh, most recent polling data from Rasmussen shows that half of America uh, believes that there was significant voter fraud resulting in Biden winning. Uh, and as I've said before to you, if Biden wants to be considered a legitimate president, he needs to accept and welcome these legal challenges as they play their way through American courtrooms. You know, I know a lot of people want to move and focus on, well, how does this all play out? I, I view this for the president as an extremely, extraordinarily heavy lift in terms of if the, the outcome is to be declared the winner in this election, David Schoen. But um, I'm looking at a broader picture also, is that if all of this went on and all these people are testifying to this point and we don't fix this system and get this system right, because we know we know how to do it right, because all these other states do do it right. And we do have faith and confidence. And we believe there's integrity in the results. Uh, we'll never have a fair election ever again in this country. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Uh, the bigger picture here is the most important factor, of course, to every American voter. And I think the President Trump, quite frankly, he has fought for integrity in the system, and uh, that's what he's fighting for now for all of us. But I'll say this, you know, the first point you made was it's a heavy lift about uh, for President Trump to, uh, to win here, given all this. Even no matter what the facts were, quite frankly, I have to say to you, maybe I sound too cynical, but I think this is part of the same double standard and a who, so what? Who cares? It hurts President Trump. Therefore, it's good. Similar, we saw it in the Mueller uh, commission. Uh, we know what, about the evidence they withheld. We know about all the dirty tricks and all that. People say, well, so what? Who cares? You know who's going to care? The next defendant who comes along when President Trump isn't 
their target. And as far as double standards go, you know, I do a lot of election cases. I encounter cases around the country over and over and over again in which signatures are invalidated because the middle initial left out or they couldn't read the signature. Here, none of that stuff seems to matter. We have reports, at least, of poll workers filling in information, addresses that were missing, uh, full names, and that sort of thing. That's extraordinary, and our system can't really survive that kind of thing. Well, uh, as you looked at all of this today, Greg, let's talk about the risk of these people that are testifying. Because there was so much praise for the hearsay whistleblower. What is the risk if you sign an affidavit, a legal document, and don't you sign that? And if if you were to commit perjury, in other words, are people doing this for political reasons? Well, you'd have to, you know, believe that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in all these different states are willing to risk their life and maybe potentially be charged if they lied. I would assume that there aren't very, very many, if any, people that are willing to do that. I wouldn't do it. It takes courage to come forward, and I think uh, the truth of these whistleblowers is proven by the affidavits they signed ahead of time under penalty of perjury. So they know if, if they get caught lying, uh, they end up in jail. Uh, juxtapose, Sean, the whistleblower in the Trump impeachment, who not only hid his identity... Uh, but was protected by Adam Schiff and other Democrats from even testifying. So, so nobody could challenge uh, the authenticity of what he was saying, the truthfulness of his word. This was a guy who, you know, who remained hidden. Uh, and, you know, he said that the reason he did that was because he feared the repercussions. Look, if you're going to come forward as a whistleblower, you really need to have the confidence of your own word and the integrity of the legal system and the protections it provides as long as you're telling the truth. That guy, and we all know his name, you can find it on the Internet, is a coward, and he had a motivation to lie for political reasons. These people today in the election fraud uh, challenges don't have uh, the seemingly you know, motivation to lie, and they had the courage to come forward, be identified, uh, speak their truth, and do it under penalty of perjury. Yeah, David, your thoughts on that? Oh, it's 100% right. It's almost impossible for a lawyer to get affidavits from regular citizens, good, upstanding citizens. Nobody wants to get involved in the process. And here you can be sure that the Democratic Party lawyers like Mark Elias or others are going to do everything they can to try to undermine the background of any uh, of anyone who gave an affidavit that's a compelling affidavit that might make a difference. No, that, that's extraordinary. I hope these cases continue on, Well, whatever happens in the election. And I was thinking that maybe someone should add a damage damages claim in it to stop any of these cases from mooting out. You know, they're going to have the argument, well, the election's over, therefore the case is moot. We should drop all of this and never fully investigate. Um, I was thinking maybe they should appoint Mr. Mueller as a special counsel uh-huh. to look into the uh, integrity. You know, of you know but I want to run this by both of you here, because, you know, here we are almost a month removed from Election Day, right? It's, it's December 1st today. The election was November 3rd. And I hear this testimony today, and I knew they were accumulating the evidence. I knew they were, get, you know, acquiring the affidavits and having people sign it and doing all of that. And I know all of that takes time, Greg Jarrett, but it, it, it gets so far away so fast that, you know, I, I, I just am concerned 
um, you know, how this can ultimately play out because it's late in the game. Well, there's about two weeks left uh, before uh, the electoral uh, college meets and the certifications have to be fully completed by all states. And so uh, the clock is certainly ticking. But if the evidence is persuasive and compelling, as I heard it today, uh, and is presented uh, before uh, various judges, they have several options. They can order a halt and a recount and an audit, disqualify an entire class of votes. Uh, And in a close election, as this one seems to be, you know, that can make a material difference about who actually won. So time is certainly of the essence. You're right, Sean. And this needs to move forward expeditiously. But I agree with David Sean that um, it may, in the minds of many, be moot. But for future elections, this has to play out. I think it should spell, in my judgment, the death knell of mail-in ballots, because that's where most of the fraud is taking place. But the second part of the fraud equation are these faulty software uh, and voting machines. You know, we need to, to have better, more reliable machines made in America and not outsourced to foreign countries. No, I, well, I mean, look, they, the company swears they're American, and we'll get this back and forth. But what we've been able to find out about the machines, Greg, is simple. We know that Feinstein and Klobuchar and Wyden were very critical of these voting machines. We know that the state of Texas rejected it twice for quality reasons in 2019, once in 2013. We know they had problems in the Georgia primary. We know that it was the it, it had the lowest quality in testing. It was the cheapest, and it was adopted by the state of Georgia. Why they wouldn't go for the highest quality, I don't know. The New York Times uh, criticized them. The AP criticized them. A tenured professor who's an expert in these machines criticized them. But why would 28 states then use a system where the media, Democrats, and Republicans are all critical? The one thing they've ever agreed on. Because they don't want to spend the money for quality voting machines and the corresponding software. They try to do it on the cheap, and you cannot do that. When you're talking about the presidency of the United States at stake, uh, Senate races, House races, and these are ultimately the most important aspect of a constitutional democracy. And, you know, we need to do better. We need to spend the money to build the proper infrastructure so that there are no questions, as half of Americans now have, about voter fraud. If we're, ha- if we're to have confidence in the electoral process, the, uh, the leaders of our country, we have to make sure that Americans are on board believing that it was legitimate and honest. And so far, this has proven not to be the case in this election. Um, do, do we ultimately fix this? If all these other states get it right and can get it right, and we only have these problems in select cities, as we pointed out, David Schoen, do we fix this or does this continue? We fix it. There will always be problems with corruption and with mishandling, but we've got to fix this. I want to know where Wyden, Warren, Klobuchar, and all of those critics of this system are today. They should be screaming about the integrity. That's the claim they raised, by the way, that these machines are a problem for the integrity of the system. Where are they? Greg Jarrett. You know, it was said best by the Secretary of State in Georgia when he slammed Fulton County, uh, home to Atlanta, for being dysfunctional uh, in the way that they have counted ballots and conducted uh, in their county 
the presidential election. It's, it's screwed up, to put it in layman's terms. And, you know, in the year 2020, with all our technology, all our knowledge, we can do better than that. We must do better than that in the future. All right. Thank you both. David Schoen, Greg Jarrett, 800 941 Sean, you want to be a part of the program? All right. When we come back, uh, we have uh, real whistleblowers, uh, people that testified as it relates to the, the what they saw on the ground in Michigan and problems they observed. Just a small sample of uh, those that testified from earlier today. If you haven't heard it, we'll also have it on Hannity tonight at 9. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue. All right, 25 to the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. We're going to cover in detail tonight uh, all the whistleblowers speaking out publicly today at these hearings in, in Michigan. Let me play for you a woman that uh, was a Michigan poll challenger. Her name is Christina Caramo. Uh, testifying about the irregularities with the ballots. All right, thank you for having me. So I was a poll challenger at the TCF Center on Monday, November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. On November 4th, early in the morning, I was standing at the adjudication table, and a ballot came across the screen. The ballot had a straight party ticket vote for both the Democrat and the Republican. It was a filled-in circle, which is an intentional mark. It's not a dash. It's not a dot. When the ballot came across the screen, there was no other marks. None of the judges and none of the other ballot proposals had been voted on. The poll worker then said, I think I'm going to give it to the Democrats. That's absolutely absurd. That is illegal. The vote should have been tossed out. At that moment, I said, absolutely not. I'm going to challenge this. So I go get her supervisor. And then her supervisor defers to her and says, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, what do you think? It doesn't matter what you think. It's the law. Our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts are totally irrelevant. You follow the law. And that ballot is to be tossed out. But she wanted to give it to the Democrats. So then I go get the gentleman who was overseeing the entire absentee ballot counting process while Daniel Baxter was gone. So this gentleman's name, I do not know. I go get him. He's overseeing the entire process while Daniel Baxter is gone. I ask him. He says to the girl, what do you think? It was disgusting. I was enraged. And I simply asked a question. I said, well, why not give it to the Republicans instead of the Democrats? The gentleman began screaming at me, began yelling at me, began telling me that I had no right to talk to her. And he told her to push the ballot through. That was testimony in Michigan from earlier today. Joining us, three other people that testified. Patrick Kolbeck, he's a poll challenger for the Election Integrity Project. Phil O'Halloran, uh, Michigan poll challenger. Uh, Melissa Caroni is a Michigan Dominion contract worker. Uh, all of them testified today. Uh, thank you all for being with us. Uh, let me let me ask all of you this question. Did you all sign legal affidavits, which would be a sworn testimony under the threat of perjury? Uh, Patrick, did you sign that? Absolutely. And I'm, by the way, I'm so happy that you highlighted Christina's testimony. She was just one of many heroes today that uh, countered the narrative that says, show me the evidence. I'll tell you, we have tons of evidence that was portrayed today. If you're not listening, you're not paying attention. That's the only way you can say that there's no evidence. Yeah. Uh, Phil O'Halloran, did, did you did you sign an affidavit under the threat of perjury? Yes, I did. I signed uh, quite a few, several of them, yes. And Melissa Caron, same, same question? Yes, I did, yes. All right, let's go to all of you and talk about what you saw and what you testified to, what you signed in your affidavits. Patrick, because you're, by the way, you're all whistleblowers. Yeah, so what I, I focused on was one link that was broken in the chain of custody. There's multiple links that were broken. Many people testified to broken links in the 
poll books and the uh, ballots themselves and the reconciliation of poll books and ballots. My focus was on vote tallies, in particular, the uh, um, the network inter- and infrastructure associated with how the report uh, the votes are reported upstream. And I highlighted that uh, the computers were obviously networked together on the same local area network. I'm a certified Microsoft small business specialist. I did cabling design for the space station. I've done a few networks in my life, and all these. Uh, computers were networked together, two computers that were connected to the Internet directly. So what that opens up is a complete chain of custody issue around our vote tallies. And uh, all it takes is a little hacker man in the middle of that to between us go off and shift ballots and shift votes wherever they see fit. So that was the focus of my testimony and same testimony I gave in Arizona yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty unbelievable. What did you see Phil O'Halloran? Okay, uh, Sean, I uh, started back in uh, October, gathered a group of volunteers to track the movements of the ballots from the uh, city clerk's office, which is called the Department of Elections, um, down to the TCS Center. And so uh, what had happened, just a little background, back when I challenged at the TCF and in the uh, 2018 general election and also, excuse me, that was the, uh, the midterm election, and also in uh, August of this year at the primary in the TCF, I noticed there was very little ballot security. There's really no uh, chain of custody. So the, the ballots would just come in. You know, some guy would just drive in with a car right onto the floor of the counting center. He'd get out, take a, a bunch of uh, U.S. Postal Service uh, trays with about 350 in each tray, each ballot. Uh, and so you, you might have, like, guys coming in with a few thousand ballots in one shipment coming out of a, a van or a car. They had out-of-state license plates uh, all the time, and they would just come in and pop them up on a receiving a ballot receiving table in the middle of the county board and just, uh, you know, just randomly put them there. I was kind of horrified. I thought, boy, aren't these transported by, like, Brinks trucks or something with police escorts? You know, we're talking about thousands of votes, of people's votes. And I got a little bit of an education, so I thought, well, this is not right. So I started looking into, uh, back in August, I looked at, I talked to one of these guys, and I said, hey, you just brought brought in some stuff. Are, are you, uh, like, a, uh, do you work here normally? I said, do you, are, are you, excuse me, I said, are you somebody who is a temporary worker? He said, I'm a temporary worker, yeah. And I said, okay. Uh, then uh, he said, I'm, I'm bringing in ballots. I brought in, like, uh, eight ballots here. I thought I had six, but I guess I got eight. And it occurred to me that maybe he's uh, got picked up two extra ballots he's not aware of or two extra uh, trays. So then we uh, organized our group of uh, volunteer uh, poll watchers, and we kind of staked out around the Department of Elections and watched the comings and goings. And, and, we, and then we had other people inside the county board. And so between us, we determined that, you know, there, there was really no transfer paperwork. There were no people with clipboards logging the departure time, the arrival time, the uh, the number of ballots, that kind of thing. There was none of that. So that, that was a real problem. And then one of our guys photographed a man carrying 100 blank ballots on Election Day in the back alley of the Department of Elections, and, and he had them under his arm. They weren't even in a, a sack or a box or anything. So that was a bit horrifying to us. Uh, he he was photographed as well by our guy. And uh, so we started looking at the, the how the fact that thousands of these folks would be coming in and, and without really any, uh, uh, or excuse me, thousands of ballots coming in with probably hundreds of, of people doing this. So uh, we then followed a Penske truck on uh, the night of, uh, I believe it was November 4th, and this had been sitting outside the Department of Elections. Uh, the two guys behind it in a pickup said that it was empty. 
but they they guarded it basically. Essentially, I thought they were like guarding it for about uh, four hours, and then it got dark. We followed the truck down to the TCF center and went inside, and then we notified a police officer and said we, we think there might be ballots in there, uh, and it's the day after the, the polls closed, and which would be illegal. So uh, they said they would do something, and we don't know if they actually did or not. Let me get to you, um, Melissa, and uh, you apparently were a Michigan Dominion contract worker, and and I assume that's the Dominion voting machines. We know we had the one problem in the one Michigan area where votes had switched. Uh, The company had claimed that it was uh, human error. Um, We know that I, we don't know that it happened elsewhere that I specifically have heard. What can you tell us about this company and your experience working for them? can tell you that the company um, is, I mean, my, well, my experience working for them was awful. Um, they were very secretive. They were every single person that was there that was a permanent employee of Dominion, which was three, it consisted of three people that were permanent employees. They were all Democrats. They were all making very rude comments about Republicans. Um, they it was not a mistake that's in their software to drop votes. Um, it, the software was created to do that for that purpose. Um, well, how, do, how, do you, how do you know that? I mean, did you watch votes get changed? Did you see it with your own eyes? Uh, I did not see that with my own eyes. That's, that's from research that other people have done and that I have. I, Dominion supplied me with um, a binder that... Uh, that really states that their their um, hardware is online. It was connected to the internet, um, which it's not supposed to be. Um, I also stated that I was initially. It says it in the uh, in the materials they gave you. Yes, sir. Yes. It, and did yes, you hand that over to the investigators here? I yes, I absolutely did. Yes. Do you have a copy of it still? I do. I have there. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to see that. Um, okay, so you're saying that the people that work for Dominion had a bias. You're saying that their system said that they connect to the Internet, but we don't know for sure that it did, or do we? Well, my affidavit attests to the fact that it was, yeah. We do, yeah. Wow, unbelievable. All right, so let, let, me, let me go back to all these people that testified today. Uh, I assume you all didn't know each other. I was told people were testifying today that there were there was the process the law allows, Patrick, for partisan observers to watch the vote counting from beginning to end, and that the chain of custody obviously should be watched as well. None of that exactly. happened, did it? No, it didn't. It's particularly around military ballots. This is You've probably seen the cardboard covering up the windows um, where... Republican poll challengers were prohibited from re-entering the TCF hall to observe the military ballots. The reason that's so concerning is because military ballots come in a format that has to be duplicated on another ballot that's compatible with the format that the uh, scanners can read. So if you don't have a Republican there, you're recreating a whole bunch of votes and a whole bunch of ballots without any Republican oversight. They chose that time to do that for a reason. All night long, we had Republican poll challengers in there till the wee hours of the morning. I was pulling a 24-hour-plus shift, seeing what was going on at night. They had zero activity pretty much between midnight and about 5 a.m. in the morning, where there's no counting, but they had the military ballots available to go off and count then. They chose not to count them until after they had locked down the facility and kept uh, additional Republican poll challengers from attending. So 
So how many Republican poll challenges were in there at a time when they were allowed to be there the whole time? We we estimated around a dozen or so. Yeah, a dozen with how many people counting ballots? So 134 separate uh, counting boards inside of there, representing 503 precincts. And what was the distance? What what was the distance between the observers and the county? Those were observers in the county. Observers were uh, the observers are people who are, you know, for the Republican Party or the Democrat Party and the counters are the poll workers. Uh, One thing that's really important to to point out here is that the Democrats allowed in very large numbers of uncredentialed people. And what that allowed them to do was not only to harass us, which was incessant, but it also boosted the numbers in the counting board so they could then conveniently say, well, we got too many people in here, better close it down. Then once they close it down, then Republicans who went out just to go to the bathroom or something or out in the hallway to take a break found that they couldn't get back in. So it was, it was selective reentry. And when I was when I was reporting the Penske truck to the uh, sergeant, uh, he, he was part of a SWAT team, an eight, eight or nine-man SWAT team that was not letting us in. And at this point, I said, no, one of the, uh, one of the I think it was a Trump Republican officials, he, he said, sir, there are only 10 Republicans inside there. And I looked on, and, and there were probably, it was just uh, too numerous to count the Democrats. I mean, it was like one, you know, obviously one for every, uh, one of the 134 counting boards, plus numerous, uh, probably non-credential people that weren't even supposed to be in there. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, I want to thank you all for, you know, sharing what you saw and, and obviously, um, I'm sure it takes great courage to tell your story, and obviously you, you feel compelled to do so because of the importance of this issue, and I want to thank you for sharing with our audience. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you for giving us a voice. Yeah, thank you for giving us a voice, Sean, and I want to thank the Michigan Has anyone else in the media voice. called you guys? Can I ask you that? Not in uh, yeah. what you'd call mainstream. <laughs> I don't know what you call them. Uh, I've, I've had one America News call. Um, I've had um, Newsmax message me and uh, ask me to be on. Um, yeah, I've had media. I was Channel Seven called. I did an interview with them uh, weeks ago, but they they really uh, cut it up uh, to be to my uh, disadvantage. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for sharing your stories with us. Uh, I I wish we heard this earlier. And people had acted quicker um, because there seems to be a lot of stories being told here and a lot of people that are are signing these legal affidavits. And we appreciate what you're doing and we appreciate you telling the American people what you saw. Thank you. All right. That's going to wrap things up for today. As always, thanks for being with us. All right. These whistleblowers who testified in Michigan today, very, very compelling and highlights that you might have missed today. We'll get an update, too, with Kaylee McEnany. Uh, Judge Piero Dave Bossi's back. Uh, Matt Gates, Greg Jarrett, and James O'Keefe will join us from Project Veritas. Tapes uncovered by fake news, CNN. Apparently not very complimentary of the president or Fox. 9 Eastern tonight. Set your DVR. See you then. Back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us.